Today is Wednesday, July the 19th, 2023. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live, that's L-I-V-E, streaming on the internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Tax prep firms shared extraordinary sensitive data about taxpayers with Meta. Three large tax preparation firms sent extraordinarily sensitive information on tens of millions of taxpayers to Facebook parent company Meta over the course of at least two years, a group of congressional Democrats reported last Wednesday. They say some of that data was then used by Meta to create targeted advertising to its own users, other companies, and to train Meta's algorithms. The Democrats' report urges federal agencies to investigate and potentially go to court over the wealth of information that H&R Block, Tax Act, and Tax Slayer shared with the social media giant. In a letter to the heads of the IRS, the Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission, and the IRS watchdog, seven lawmakers say their findings reveal a shocking breach of taxpayer privacy by tax prep companies and by big tech firms. Their report said highly sensitive personal and financial information about sources of taxpayers' income, tax deductions, and exemptions were made accessible to Meta as taxpayers used the tax software to prepare the taxes. That data came to Meta through its pixel code, which the tax firms installed on their websites to gather information on how to improve their own marketing campaigns. In exchange, Meta was able to access the data to write targeted algorithms for its own users. The program collected information on taxpayers' filing status, income refund amounts, names of dependents, approximate federal tax owed, which buttons were clicked on the preparers' websites, and the names of of tax entry forms that the taxpayers navigated, the report states. Taxpayer data was also shared with Google through its own tracking tools, though the firm told lawmakers that it never used the information to track users on the Internet, according to the report. The letter to federal agencies was signed by Senators Elizabeth Warren, Ron Wyden, Richard Blumenthal, Tammy Duckworth, Bernie Sanders, Sheldon Whitehouse, and Representative Katie Porter. The lawmakers call for the agencies to immediately open an investigation into this incident. They ask the agencies to investigate and prosecute any company or individuals who violated the law, saying it could result in billions of dollars in criminal liability to the firms. The markup, a nonprofit journalism outlet focusing on technology, initially reported on the data sharing between tax firms and Meta in November. Tax Act told the markup then 
that it takes the privacy of its customers' data very seriously and endeavors to comply with all IRS regulations. TaxSlayer said then that its customers' privacy is of utmost importance and that it had removed the Pixel to evaluate its use. H&R Block said that it takes protecting client privacy very seriously and has taken steps to prevent the sharing of information through the Pixel coding. The main question is, why did they do it? And Meta said that it has been cleared in its policies that advertisers should not send sensitive information about people through our business tools. Doing so is against our policies, and we educate advertisers on properly setting up business tools to prevent this from occurring, the company said in an email statement. Our system is designed to filter out potentially sensitive data it is able to detect. Representatives from the IRS, the DOJ, the FTC, and the IRS watchdog also did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The Democrats say their report serves as an argument for the creation of an electronic free file system for submitting tax returns that would be run by the government, which the IRS is currently piloting. The IRS plans to launch a pilot program for the 2024 filing season to test a direct file system and help the federal government decide whether to move forward with potentially implementing it in the future. The IRS in May published a feasibility report laying out taxpayers' interest in direct file, how the system could work, its potential costs, operational challenges, and more. The report shows that the majority of survey taxpayers would be interested in using an IRS-provided tool to prepare and file their taxes electronically. Almost 50% of respondents who prefer the IRS free file option over commercial tax preparation firms say they prefer to give their financial information directly to the IRS instead of the third party. It's official. Smartphones will need to have replaceable batteries by 2027. Almost every smartphone, including iPhones, will need to have a replaceable battery by 2027. The European Council has ended its adoption procedure for rules related to phones with replaceable batteries. By 2027, all phones released in the European Union must have a battery the user can easily replace with no tools or expertise. The regulation intends to introduce a circular economy for batteries. The European Parliament voting to enact a law forcing manufacturers of all battery-powered devices, including smartphones, to offer easily replaceable batteries. This week, the European Council officially agreed to the new regulation. Now the only step left is for the European Council and Parliament to sign on the dotted line. Once they do, the clock starts ticking. Any manufacturer wanting to sell phones in the European Union must ensure those phones have replaceable batteries by 2027. Phones with replaceable batteries, well, what does this law mean then? The European Council only has jurisdiction over Europe. Obviously, so this law will not technically have an, an effect in any other area of the world. However, that doesn't really mean much in the grand scheme of things.
companies like Samsung, Google, Apple, and so on don't design devices specific to Europe. Apple, for example, is not going to create a European iPhone with a replaceable battery and one for the United States without. In other words, this law will change all iPhones. It will also change all tablets, laptops, EVs, e-bikes, and anything else with a rechargeable battery. The grace period from now until 2027 is to give OEMs enough time to redesign their products. This new law states specifically that users should be able to replace a battery in their phone without any special expertise or tools. Being that almost all smartphones today are designed like a glass sandwich that relies on extensive use of adhesive, the very fundamentals of how companies design phones will need to change. It's too early to say yet how this law will change iPhones, Galaxy S phones, Pixels, etc. However, they will change in response to this law, which is huge. What is the intention of this law? This law exists to force manufacturers to create a circular economy for batteries. A circular economy refers to a manufacturing model in which the resources put into it are recycled or reused as much as possible. In a perfect world, the resources needed to create a smartphone would be sourced 100% from older smartphones, so nothing new would ever need to be used. Obviously, the 100% figure would be practically impossible, but getting much closer to 100% is a very realistic goal. Here are some other rules that this new law covers related to phones with replaceable batteries. Collection of waste. OEMs will need to collect 63% of portable batteries that would normally go to a landfill by the end of 2027. By the end of 2030, that number should be at 73%. Recovery of waste. Lithium recovery from waste batteries will need to be at 50% by 2027. By the end of 2031, it should be at 80%, meaning 80% of the lithium inside a battery can be recovered and repurposed for new batteries. Recycling minimums. Industrial, SL1, and EV batteries will need to be made up of certain percentages of recycled content. Initially, this will be 16% for cobalt, 85% for lead, 6% for lithium, and 6% for nickel. Early recycling efficiency target. Nickel-cadmium batteries should have a recycling efficiency target of 80% by the end of 2025. All other batteries should be at 50% efficiency target by 2025. What happens now? We'll likely won't see anything change this year. However, the, over the next few years, you'll likely begin to see smartphones with slightly different designs as manufacturers move towards compliance with this new law. It will take years before manufacturers will have the designs, supply chains, and equipment needed to create phones with replaceable batteries at scale. Remember that consumers expect certain things from smartphones nowadays, which would mean that OEM can't just go back to the old way of doing things. An IP68 rating would be very difficult to obtain while still offering a premium feeling device with an easily replaceable battery. For example, there are hurdles OEMs would need to get over to be in compliance. Regardless, things are going to be very different in just a few years. 
I'm looking forward to be able to just change the battery in the phone. Class action lawsuit says Google stole everyone's data to train its AI. A six-year-old, a best-selling author, and others accused Google of stealing everything ever shared on the internet after Gizmodo noted a privacy policy change. Google got smacked with a class action lawsuit Tuesday accusing the search giant of stealing everything ever shared on the internet, including copyrighted works and millions of people's personal data. The law firm behind the case, Clarkson, said the case comes after Google changed its AI privacy policy and updated first spotted by Gizmodo. The company changed its policy to say it reserves the right to scrape all the Internet's public information to fuel its artificial intelligence projects. Google does not own the Internet. It does not own our creative works. It does not own our expressions of our personhood, pictures of our families and children, or anything else simply because we share it online, said Ryan Clarkson, managing partner of Clarkson in a press release. We have only recently learned that Google has been taking everything ever created or shared online by millions of internet users, including all our personal information, creative works, and professional works, and using all of that data to train and build commercial AI products. NASA may have just cracked the code for replacing lithium in batteries, double or even triple the energy. NASA believes it has cracked the code in the quest to make electric planes a more viable technology. Researchers at NASA's solid-state architecture batteries for enhanced rechargeability and safety, that's SABERS, S-A-B-E-R-S, have created a high-performing battery that they believe can both hold enough electricity and discharge it fast enough to efficiently power an electric aircraft. Battery performance has long been a roadblock in the development of more sustainable electric airplanes. While lithium-ion batteries currently dominate the battery technology space, NASA has used a different type of battery called a solid-state battery that is lighter and can store more power than lithium-ion batteries. The solid-state battery isn't new, but the technology has not been suitable for use in large electronics until Sabre's recent discovery. Another key advantage that lithium-ion have long held over solid-state batteries is that they can discharge power much faster than solid-state batteries. Sabre says it has addressed this issue with a new innovation that is able to increase a solid-state battery's discharge rate by a factor of 10, and then by another factor of 5. We're starting to approach this new frontier of battery research that could do so much more than lithium-ion batteries can, said Rocco Vigiano, principal investigator for Sabres at NASA's Glenn Research Center in Cleveland, in a press conference. Not only does this design eliminate 30 to 40% of the battery's weight, it also allows us to double or even triple the energy it can store, far exceeding the capabilities of lithium-ion batteries that are considered to be state-of-the-art, he added. Is sustainable aviation around the corner? Safety is a primary concern for aircrafts. 
you wouldn't get on an electric plane if there was a possibility to catch fire midair, because lithium-ion batteries contain highly flammable liquid that is prone to leakage. Each battery cell is kept in its own steel case, which adds weight. And when damaged, lithium-ion batteries can still catch fire. Solid-state batteries, on the other hand, can still be used even when they're damaged. They also don't contain liquids, so they can be stacked vertically in one casing, which maximizes space and lightens the load of the battery. Aircrafts operate in varying temperatures and pressures, going from low to high altitudes in short periods of time. And NASA researchers have found that solid-state batteries can operate in temperatures twice as hot as lithium-ion batteries. Solid-state batteries achieve this using less cooling technology than lithium-ion. This battery technology has caught the eye of the U.S. government and the aviation industry as a promising way to help reduce the air pollution stemming from air travel. It isn't commercially viable just yet, but NASA researchers are partnering with various academic institutions to continue developing this battery technology. Comcast's new $20 a month live TV streaming service called Now TV. Back in May, Comcast announced plans to launch a $20 live TV streaming service called Now TV. This new service is Comcast's latest effort to help it fight off the losses it is seeing from cord cutting. Now that the service has been out a month, what do we know about it now and should you try it? This new service includes a lot of live channels, along with a free Peacock Premium subscription and free channels from its Zumo Play streaming service. So what should you expect from this service? We're going to take a look at everything we know about this live TV service. Comcast made the following statement. With content and connectivity at the core of our company, we are uniquely positioned to build and deliver streaming entertainment offering unlike anything else out there today. Now TV is a great example of how our company brings together its collective video experiences, innovative technology, and superior broadband service to deliver some of the best entertainment into one affordable streaming bundle. When will the service launch? The service is live now, but you need to go into your Xfinity account to subscribe to it. Well, who can subscribe to the Now TV service? You need to be a Comcast Xfinity internet customer to subscribe. What free content will be included? You will also find free channels, including NBC News, Now, Sky News, and the following genre-based channels from Zumo Play, action movies, black cinema, Bollywood and Indian cinema, comedy movies, comedy TV, crime TV, documentaries, drama and action TV, family movies, food TV, movies, game shows, her movies, horror and thrillers, kids TV, reality TV, sci-fi and fantasy movie, travel and lifestyle TV, and Western bundle into Now TV. Boy, that's a lot for $20. What devices will Now TV support? At launch, Now TV Live and Xfinity streams 
fast channels will be accessible through the Xfinity Stream app on supported devices, including Xfinity Flex, Fire TV, iOS, and Android power devices, and via casting through Apple AirPlay and Google Chromecast. No word yet on when or if it will come to more devices. Hopefully, Roku support will be added soon. Good news, Now TV will come with 20 hours of DVR and on-demand content from the networks that are a part of the service. What is the cost and how do you sign up? Now TV will cost $20 a month and is contract-free. You can sign up for Now TV at Xfinity.com. The only question now is, does it offer the content you want? If it offers the content you want, the price at $20 includes Peacock, is a really good deal. The catch is, of course, you have to be an Xfinity Internet customer. Basically, for $20 a month, they're replacing their television subscription service and offers it as a streaming service. Get ready for light-based Wi-Fi because now an official standard. Think of Li-Fi as Wi-Fi but without radio waves and like it's ultra fast. Wi-Fi is a basic part of our lives at this point, but back in the 90s, it was a groundbreaking concept. Internet without wires. The thought of connecting your computer to the World Wide Web without hooking it up to a modem was surreal until Apple did it with the iBook in 1999, which in classic Apple fashion, it made into a proprietary thing for its devices called AirPort. By now, though, it's a concept we're all familiar with. That doesn't mean that there can't be more innovations. However, Wi-Fi uses radio waves. But what if there was a better way? Li-Fi was made into a standard IEEE 805.11BB. That's like in Betsy Boy. And it harnesses the power of light to give you connectivity. The newest wireless internet standard has just been released, and despite technically belonging to the same family of standards Wi-Fi lives in, it couldn't be more different from Wi-Fi. The two entities at the forefront of Li-Fi development today, for-profit company, Pure Li-Fi, and Research Institute, Fraunhofer HHI, welcome the release of the standard by issuing a joint press release. The concept behind Li-Fi is pretty simple. Instead of using radio waves to transfer data, Li-Fi uses a different kind of electromagnetic radiation, light, for that task instead. LED lights already turn on and off many times a second by themselves to save energy, and that's mostly interceptable by the human eye. Li-Fi would just make them turn on and off in a specific way that a receiver can interpret and thus transfer data with. It works with visible, infrared, and ultraviolet light, so not to worry. You can surf the web with visible light switch on. Since light bounces off walls and is thus confined to individual rooms, there is less interference and higher bandwidth, and traffic is harder to intercept from outside. The concept has been around for some time, but there were several challenges to its development and adoption, including the lack of 
and official standard. This last part has just been fixed with the IEEE 802.11BB standard. LIFI, that's L-I-F-I, isn't meant as a replacement to Wi-Fi, that's W-I-F-I, but it can thrive in scenarios where Wi-Fi can be a weaker alternative or is outright not an option. Think of places where Wi-Fi radio waves can interfere with other things, like hospitals, airplanes, or military bases. Li-Fi can also coexist with your Wi-Fi network at home, with your devices seamlessly switching between networks depending on which works best in a given scenario. Similar to how phones switch between mobile radios and Wi-Fi already. For example, your phone could stay connected to Wi-Fi while it's in your pocket and then switch to the faster and more interference-free Li-Fi when you hold it in your hand, where it can receive light. A lamp isn't coming to your Wi-Fi router anytime soon. It's more likely to join it. We'll have to see how this tech evolves and gets adopted down the road now that there's a proper standard. But we might see a lot more stuff with light-based internet in the next few years. Microsoft is quietly making fixing your PC a breeze. Microsoft has quietly added a handy new feature to an early version of Windows 11 that could make fixing problems with your PC much easier. If you've been using PCs for a while, you probably have found that if your computer starts acting weirdly and you can't figure out why, reinstalling Windows can often fix things. However, this is usually a last resort, as the process can be time-consuming and you have to make sure you have everything backed up so you don't lose important files. Windows 11 Build 25905 has rolled out to people who have signed up to the Windows Insider program to help test early versions of upcoming Windows updates. And it comes with a new feature in the recovery settings. This new feature allows you to fix problems with your PC using Windows Update. It seems that if you select this option, Windows 11 will download the latest available update and do a fresh install of that while keeping your apps, files, and settings. A great idea, but with some drawbacks. This new feature is probably one of the better ideas Microsoft has had, and if it works as advertised, it really could make fixing some Windows 11 problems a lot easier. In the past, redoing a clean install of Windows could be, well, a little painful, as it essentially meant wiping your hard drive and starting again. This also meant digging out your installation disk and activation code if necessary. Even in later versions of Windows, such as Windows 11, which added an option to reset Windows, which was similar to doing a full reinstall, but without much of the inconvenience, such as having to use installation media. It was still a lengthy process, as you had to reinstall many of the applications you use. If this feature works as promised, the process should be even more streamlined, with all your apps and documents remaining untouched, and could mean the process of fixing any annoying problems is pretty fast and painless. 
There are some drawbacks, however, as it appears to enable the feature you'll need to boot into Windows 11 first, which isn't much help if your PC is refusing to boot. It's not clear if you can access this feature via safe mode either. If the problem has been caused by the latest Windows 11 update, then reinstalling that update might not fix the problem either. I was pleasantly surprised to see that Microsoft introduced new ways to help fix problems, and while the company seems to have kept this new feature quiet, it could end up being one of the most useful additions in recent years. Hopefully, it'll roll out to all users in the coming months. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we talk about computers and technology. We talk about the workplace and a lot of how all of this intertwines into each other. Aaron reached out with a question, and the question is, should my manager be using emojis when communicating with me and the other employees. All right. And this is this is this is kind of an interesting thing because we have evolved along the way. We have moved along the way and I'm going to talk about that here in a moment or so a matter of how things have really changed. But I'm going to go back in time first. See, I wish at times that emojis could be used in real life. I had a CEO that I worked directly for, and this was many years ago. I'll give you an idea how far back. We were calling them emoticons back then. Now, this CEO had a poker face. In real life, uh, it took me actually a, a while to recognize that most of us could not see a distinction between his use of sarcastic wit and when he was displaying his serious nature, I think I probably saw him smile all of about three or four times in the time that I worked with him, which was a bit over a year. And that was that people struggled with that. And you couldn't tell if he was joking or if he was really serious. Again, he'd be great at poker. So in writing, we lack some of that level of context to know about whether somebody's communicating sarcasm or jokes or about all of these different levels of interaction that may be going on. There's no voice. There's no body language. We have just the context that is within those words. Context is always going to be key in regards to whether or not we're using emojis and what emojis we're going to be using. Another thing is also key here, and that is we should be communicating and building rapport with everyone. I personally believe that in business, the usage of emojis adds a touch of warmth, a, a touch of friendliness, a touch of just, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's basically we want to overcome this, this dry and formal written communication. Yes, we can put out words. We can put out all kinds of different communications and we can spend a lot of time crafting these messages. But today's business 
moves rather fast, and we need to get back with answers. So by sprinkling in that well-placed smiley face, by giving a thumbs up, by whatever emoji we're using, managers and employees can create a more approachable, more personable image. And this... This fosters a positive level of communications with each other, with with teams. Now, this is a way to show your human side. And with us moving so often to things like uh, Skype, Skype for Business, uh, Teams, and Slack, and all of this, it is so very important to reveal how you're going, how you're doing, and let people see, again, the human side of you. I've worked with some foreign-based employees for a few years, and in today's globalized workplace, teams very often are consisting of individuals from different cultures and backgrounds. These various emojis can transcend those language barriers. They can bridge any gap in understanding that simple smiley face can convey meaning more effectively than a lengthy explanation. It ensures some clarity. It ensures that you're avoiding some possible misinterpretations. It also sets you up as being friendly and approachable. At times, I think I'm probably not using enough emojis in my text just because I tend to be long-winded. And that's why I'm on the radio. Uh, So remember that despite their expressive nature, emojis are going to be subjective. Inherently, they are a communication tool. And just as our words can be misconstrued, everyone needs to be cautious to use emojis that are understood universally. And they need to understand that There are some that could be misinterpreted, creating uh, unintended conflicts or confusion. So just with you would do with any other tool, you have to use them properly. Emojis have their time and place. Now, they may work very well in casual conversations, informal team chats. They aren't going to be suitable for more serious and sensitive topics. Sometimes... The context and the tone of a communication should be considered before going after the emoji. A well-crafted sentence, a thoughtful choice of words may be a lot more appropriate, a lot more effective than any emoji. Before I close up, I'm going to dismiss any idea that anyone is impacting professionalism by using emojis. They have been brought into so many aspects of our lives, and there are so many different generations, and some of the generations embrace the emojis. So, some argue that emojis are too casual. They may undermine the professionalism of the workplace, the authority and seriousness of a managerial position, but I say that a balance is needed. Emojis are a language tool. They create a friendly atmosphere, but... You need the balance. Remember that excessive or inappropriate usage of emojis may blur the line between personal and professional communications. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. The media industry is in turmoil. Media companies are struggling with two Hollywood strikes. 
slumping ad revenue and money losing streaming businesses. Traditional TV is dying. Ad revenue is soft. Streaming isn't profitable. And Hollywood is practically shut down as the actors and writers unions settle in for a long and bitter work stoppage. Netflix, with a new advertising model push to stop password sharing, looks the best positioned compared with legacy media giants. Although the soft advertising market has been weighing in on the industry, the recent introduction of a cheaper, ad-supported option for services like Netflix and Disney Plus will likely be one bright spot as one of the few areas of growth. Legacy media companies like Paramount, Global, Comcast, and Warner Brothers Discovery, which each have significant portfolios of pay TV networks. Last week, members of the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, joined the more than 11,000 already striking film and television writers on the picket line. The strike, a result of the failed negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and television producers, bringing the industry to an immediate halt. It's the first dual strike of this kind since 1960. The strike happening suggests this is a sector in tremendous turmoil. The stoppage couldn't occur at a worse time. Noting disruptive forces on this business and all the challenges on top of the industry still recovering from the pandemic. These are the first strikes of their kind during the streaming era. The last writer's strike occurred in 2007 and 2008, which went on for about 14 weeks and gave rise to unscripted reality TV. Hollywood writers have already been on strike since early May of this year. Depending on the longevity of the strike, fresh film and TV content could dry up and leave streaming platforms and TV networks other than library content, live sport and news bare. For Netflix, the strikes may have a lesser effect, at least in the near term. Content made outside the United States isn't affected by the strike, an area where Netflix has heavily invested. Netflix produce shows well in advance, and if push comes to shove, they can rely on international shows. Netflix is the antagonist in the eyes of strikes because how it changed the economics of what writers get paid. The decline of pay TV subscribers, which has accelerated, will continue as consumers increasingly shift towards streaming. Yet, despite the rampant decline, many networks remain cash cows as they also supply content to other parts of the business, particularly streaming. For pay TV distributors, hiking the price of cable bundles has been a method of staying profitable. But according to a recent report from Moffat Nathanson, the quantity of subscribers is falling far too fast for pricing to continue to offset. Paramount is currently considering a sale of a majority stake in its cable TV network, BET. In recent years, Comcast NBC Universal has closed down networks like NBC Sports, and combine sports programming on other channels like USA Network. The networks are a dwindling business, and for some companies, there's no way around it. Making matters worse, the weak advertising market has been a source of pain, particularly for traditional TV. It weighed on the 
earnings of Paramount and Warner Brothers, Discovery, each of which have big portfolios of cable networks. Advertising pricing growth, which has long offset audience declines, is a key source of concern, according to Moffitt Nathanson's recent report. The firm noted that this could be the first non-recessionary year that advertising does not produce increases in TV pricing, especially as ad-supported streaming hits the market. Streamers' introduction of cheaper, ad-supported tiers will be a hot topic, especially after Netflix and Disney Plus announced their platforms late last year. The soft advertising market affects everyone, but Netflix is not as affected as the TV companies or other established advertising streamers. Netflix is the most established streamer. Its ad tier is new and has plenty of room for growth. Advertising is now considered an important mechanism in platforms' broader efforts to reach profitability. It is not a coincidence that Netflix suddenly became judicious about freeloaders while pushing a cheaper tier that has advertising. Last week's ruling from a federal judge that Microsoft's $68.7 billion acquisition of game publisher Activision Blizzard should move forward serves as a good news for the media industry. It is a signal that significant consolidation can proceed even if there's temporary regulatory interference. Although the Federal Trade Commission appealed the ruling, bankers took it as a win for deal-making during a slow period of mega-deals. As media giants struggle and shareholders grow frustrated, the judge's ruling could fuel more deals. Regulatory roadblocks have been prevalent beyond the Microsoft deal. A federal judge shut down the book publisher Penguin Random House's proposed purchase of Paramount's Simon & Schuster last year. Broadcast station owner Tegna scrapped its deal to Standard General this year due to regulatory pushback. The fact that we are so focused on the Activision-Microsoft deal is indicative of a reality that deal-making is going to be an enormous tool going forward to solidified market position. Warner Brothers and Discovery merge in 2022, ballooning the combined company's portfolio of cable networks and bringing together its streaming platforms. Recently, the companies relaunched its flagship service as Max, merging content from Discovery Plus and HBO Max. Amazon bought MGM the same year. Other mega deals occurred before that too. Comcast acquired UK broadcaster Sky in 2018. The next year, Disney paid $71 billion for Fox Corp's entertainment assets, which gave Disney the Simpsons and the controlling stake in Hulu, but makes up a small portion of its TV properties. The mergers of Comcast and Sky, Disney and Fox, Warner and Discovery happened just a few years ago. Consolidation is likely to continue once companies are finished working through these past mergers and get past lingering effects of the pandemic, such as increasing spending to gain subscribers. The rise of streaming and its lack of profitability and bleeding of pay TV customers, more consolidation could be on the way. Netflix built its business with licensing content and not having to buy an asset. With the Activision Microsoft ruling, there's going to be 
more merger and acquisitions. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Are you feeling sleepy? No, not really. Well, I've Should got two I? Things, I've got two things today, and one is about helping you sleep, and the other is about things you can get done while you are. That's the voice of Marty Winston. He, he, okay. So, 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 so t- sleeping in tech? All right, all right. Uh, where are we going with this? I'll, I'll take you there. This is about hedging your betting on bedding. Okay. About the tech inside things that you full contact touch for long lengths of time, spending about a third of your life in constant contact. Yeah. And why hidden hazards are there. Okay. Think of, think in terms of what you might not want to sip. Think of why you might want to not want to sip every beverage from lead cups. Okay, or, I, or I use, can venture a reason there. Or or use mercury as a food seasoning or craft your I, winter wear out of asbestos, right? I, I, I've never tasted mercury. I don't think I want to either, Maybe okay? <laughs> the now asbestos back, winter wear, that, that's a little scary too. All well, right, go on. Scaring is what this is about. Back when the pandemic was peaking, we did a lot yeah, of coverage of yeah. Hall of Shame products that claimed yes. to eliminate the virus, but released hidden health hazards like noxious fumes that could damage your breathing passages and for real, leave mm-hmm, you more susceptible mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. infection. It's a case of hidden hazards in the way those things are built. Mm-hmm. We learned about hidden hazards in pillows and mattresses, including crib mattresses, because of the way those are made. Mm-hmm, in pillows, mm-hmm. for example, there's less danger from those made with down, actual feathers, and even that depends on how those feathers are sourced, than those made with synthetic innards, like polyurethane foam or synthetic latex. It's, it's interesting you mention that, because every time I've gotten one of those synthetic pillows, I've, I've hated the smell of it. I, I, I always insist on down pillows. Your, your so, body's yeah. warning you. Yeah, the safest yeah. bet I could find is in natural latex rubber, meaning rubber tree rubber. Okay. Mattress fillings and covers and so on. Well, those are even worse. Natural cotton and wool don't present the same dangers as the synthetic stuff with mm-hmm. flame retardants mm-hmm. and other treatments. Those bad boys can leave you touching or inhaling heavy metals like arsenic, silicon dioxide, boron acid, chlorine, bromine, phosphorus, pesticides, phenol, and worse. Now, it costs about 50% more to get bedding from brands like Naturepedic that stick with natural latex and cotton and wool. Okay. I visited their factory because of a new product, a pillow designed to be extra comfortable for people who sleep on their sides. And I have to tell you, it feels like anti-gravity no matter how you sleep. Okay. All right. Company's about 20 years old and just a few miles from me. And I never heard of it before I got word of that pillow, but the rest kind of falls into place. When you learned that it was founded by a husband and wife team of environmental scientists triggered by shopping for a crib mattress for their first grandchild, right? Okay. There's a ton of info at naturepedic.com. Very cool. Right, now, so, so you went out to their factory. You, I did, yeah. I did a factory tour, talked to the founder and one of his sons, the father of the grandson for whom the yeah, crib yeah, yeah. business. Um, now, while you're sleeping. Yes. There's a robot that can take care of your floors. <laughs> okay. 
This one is from Dreamy Tech. That's Dream with an E at the end. Dream Technology Company. They sent their Dream Tech DreamBot L10 Ultra self-tending sweep and dock mop. Sweep and dock. No, sweep and mop docking robot. Okay. I think I've been doing this for a while, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's mopping head spins at up to 180 RPM. Yeah. Now, they like quoting that number. It's three swirls per second. Okay. okay. All right. The dock automatically rinses, scrubs, and dries the easily replaceable mop heads. Also, when docked, its dustbin automatically empties into a big disposable dust bag that's good for up to 60 days dirt. Mm, Navigation okay, okay. and object avoidance benefit from its top LIDAR head. LIDAR. Okay, interesting. Well, we're back to LIDAR again. Yeah. Oh, man. The light for, version for of the, radar, yeah. For, yeah. For those not in on this little side sidebar here, uh, Marty was doing a lot of uh, LIDAR projects uh, back, what, about four years ago, five years well, ago? Well, we're talking about the uh, self-aware cybernetic house, yeah. Yeah, yeah. LIDAR is the technology that deep tech cars use. Only these robots haven't been in anything like the number of accidents reported as involving Tesla cars. <laughs> the, the, the app for this and, and your phone is a brilliant interface the way they designed it. The app lets you set schedules, lets you customize mm -hmm. uh, spaces, name the rooms, set up don't go there zones, identify available path space. It even maps Wi-Fi strength. What oh, it, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And what impressed me are the results. Mm -hmm. I added half a capful of an off-the-shelf floor cleaner named Fabuloso. And yeah. our flooring, well, it swapped dull for shine with no streaking at all. Mm -hmm. It adapted instantly to carpets, even small welcome mats. I'll even spotlight itself discipline. Discipline, coming back to the dock to clean its pads, eject its dirty water, pick up the clean water, empty the dustbin into the uh, dust bag, and recharging the battery. Its biggest endorsement of the three docking sweep and mop smart floor robots we've recently reviewed, this is the one I'm under spousal instructions to use. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big deal. Yeah. L10 Ultra is about 900 bucks on Amazon. It's interesting because I remember you reviewing one about, I don't know, about 10 weeks ago. Yes, this the one. Narwhal. But I, uh, uh, Narwhal? Okay. Yeah. All right. So so you did review all three. I was, I, I only remembered one. So, okay. Well, there we go. The Narwhal did the Robo Rock and, and did Dream Tech and my wife elected Dream Tech as the winner. There we go. She crowned it, the, the new reigning <laughs> champion. All right, this is Benjamin Rockwell. That's Marty Winston. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you, Marty. Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. The Brookdale Computer Users Group meets Thursday, July the 27th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is bcug.com. Tech Ed Connect. Thursday, August the 3rd. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is wpcug.org. The King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, August the 8th. 
Meeting time is 7 p.m. They meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant at 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. For more information, you call 347-278-7320. The New York Amateur Computer Club meets Thursday, August the 10th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. And the website is nyacc.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, August the 11th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. And the website is limac.org. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN, live streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy till we meet again, same time, same station, next week.